You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders Podcast. And today, guys, do I have a awesome guest for you guys. This guy is a screenwriter. He's a journalist. He's an author. I mean, you've seen his work in multiple places for sure. He's also a playwright. He has a dope book that's actually dropped today from Fantagraphics called See You at San Diego, an oral history of Comic-Con, fandom, and the triumph of geek culture. Very long title. We'll get into why in a moment. Let me introduce the amazingly talented Mr. Matthew Glickstein. How you doing, kid? Hey, I'm fine. Thanks for having me on the show, Al. I really appreciate it. No, no, thanks for coming through and, and, and talking about, you know, what, what you've done, your career, because you've done awesome stuff. And, and this amazing new book that dropped, you know, by a fan of graphics today, you go get that at your favorite uh, bookstore, Amazon today. You feel me? All right. So, all right, man, a little bit about yourself, because this is Comic Crusaders. We need to have that origin story. So tell us a bit about where, where you grew up, where you're from, where you grew up at, and you know, how you, how did you fall in love with fandom? Wow, that's a lot. All right there. I could write a whole other book just about that. Um, <laughs> I'll try to be short, although people know that I normally cannot be. Uh, that's why the book's <laughs> so long. It's 500 pages. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Southern Orange County. And uh, before anybody even knew what Orange County was, uh, before all the TV shows and movies, <laughs> my mom was, was cool. a dental hygienist. Yeah, she worked at Avon at night. So we had, we had a very different experience in some of the movies and TV shows you see. Like these days, I'm, I'm almost kind of embarrassed to say I'm from there just because it's become, you know, a different place to a lot of people because of the movies <laughs> and TV shows. But that's where I'm from. And then I went to film school at USC and I worked in L.A. for a long time out there. Uh, doing film and television and journalism work, all different kinds of things awesome. like that. And I just really bounced around. And I've, I've lived in New York. I've lived all over different parts of the country. I've really fallen in love with the Midwest over the last few years. I was working for a Food Network show for a little while after I worked on a book about Nickelodeon that Mark Summers okay. from Nickelodeon was involved in. And he was an executive producer on a show called Restaurant Possible. He brought me on to help produce that for a few years. That was fun. But I just fell in love with the Midwest, just a little bit slower paced, uh, a lot more reasonably priced for people who are working class creatives like me, uh, freelancers and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I don't have to worry about traffic and all that kind of stuff. So it's been good. As far as fandom is concerned, um, well, you know, two different things. One is I just was always into it as a kid. It wasn't enough for me to just watch Looney Tunes. I would be reading books about Chuck Jones and Tex Avery. And, and you know, I used to How old you when you're reading these books? I was young. I mean, I was like fourth, fifth grade. Some of the first oh, adult wow. books I read, not adult like triple X, but adult like for <laughs> adults, were biographies and autobiographies. Even of people who were well beyond my years. Like I was really into George Burns as a kid. I had a Phyllis Diller poster signed to me. <laughs> what? I was going, yeah, I was like 10 years old. It's like the 90s. I have a Phyllis Diller poster on my wall. So, yeah, I was just that guy. I would have appreciated a hell out of that. Yeah, yeah, no, it was fun. You know, yeah. even to this day, a lot of my friends are way older because they're the only ones I could talk to about like the Marx Brothers and whatnot, <laughs> you know, and the, the Three Stooges. So I was always into that kind of stuff as a kid. And then my dad was actually a super geek, a gamer. He had all the games in the early oh, cool. years, all the Nintendo and Sega CD. He had Turbo 16, you know, Bonk oh, and all right. that. Nice. He had, yeah, had he, was, <laughs> he was really into it. And he would take me to these little shows on the weekends when I visit him. And we would go to those places where it was just warehouses with other people that just had like their their trading cards and their action figures and their video games. Like they were, you know, they were little mini conventions that he would take me That's to. Cool. Um, and so I got really into the scene that way. And then finally, I'll say this because it's always really important for me to say, I wasn't really that into comics when I was a kid, but I still hung out at comic book shops all the time because yeah. that's where other people like me were. And this was well before social media and whatnot. So when I'm eight years old, nine years old and riding my bike around, if I want to go on the weekend to see people and hang out with people that are like me who read books, who are into movies, all this stuff, they're at the comic book shop. Just because there's tables there where people are playing games and whatnot. I mean, record stores and video stores were cool too. There's nowhere to sit. There's nowhere to hang out. So I would go and hang out at the comic book shops. They were like clubhouses. And, you know, and I would hang out with them and do stuff. So even though I wasn't really that into comics, it was all around me. And we'd be yeah. meanwhile talking about movies and TV shows and other books and things that we read. That's where the geeks hung out. And they were my buddies. And so that's how I got into a lot of it, too. So it was all those things together really made me who I am today. 
Okay, so the comic shop was where you found the tribe. So you're telling me in school it was not cool in school at, at your time? It's a really good question. Um, I was in, I don't know if they have this everywhere, but in Southern California, they had something called the GATE program, G-A-T-E, Gifted and Talented Education. Actually, a lot of the early Comic-Con people uh, did that because they were you know, Southern California too, but yeah. way, way back in the day in the 60s and whatnot. And uh, so I was with the same group of kids through elementary school and kind of through junior high and high school too, because we all kind of stayed in a lot of the same advanced placement classes and whatnot. So I kind of grew up with this group of kids, many of whom I'm still friendly with to this day. Um, so together we were sort of into that. We all like one big thing, I don't know why, but fifth or sixth grade, we all really got into Michael Crichton books. Like Jurassic <laughs> Park came out and like all of a sudden it was like a competition, like everyone, guys, girls, everybody, we were all reading all the Michael Crichton books and we loved them. Wow. Those really became some of the books too that really inspired me a lot and taught me a lot about writing, creative writing. Because again, I'm fourth grade, fifth grade, some of the first, you know, bigger books I'm reading. Of course, that leads me to people like Stephen King and Dean Koontz and some of those guys. Then I get into Ray Bradbury and Arthur C. Clarke and I start kind of going backwards a little bit to some of those people, Isaac Asimov. Um, so we were all into that kind of stuff together. The other kids at my school and some of the other people that I'd meet you know, different sports and stuff like that. Not that I was that into sports and things, not so much. <laughs> so, you know, if I really want to like hang out with people for hours on end on a Saturday and just talk about movies and, and certain TV shows and cartoons and stuff, it was a comic book shop for sure. Okay. Um, yeah. And just real quick, I, I did get into Magic the Gathering when it first came out. So I'd be playing the hey. and whatnot there. Yeah. So hey. my dad got into it. So we'd go and, and get cards and whatnot. But uh, uh, were so you that a killer team? What's that? <laughs> Were you, did you guys make a killer team? Would you no, you know what? We actually, we never we never did tournaments together. That was always kind uh, of my thing. Um, he got really into the online gaming. That was a little bit later. Um, my dad's more than anything is a gamer. I mean, he really, okay. he's all about the computer. Yeah, for uh -huh. video games and whatnot. But yeah, but it was, it was we would, we got into Magic the Gathering together, like, because he was into the, the artwork and, the, and how they were collectible. Okay. And just real quick, you know, I think that's, something a lot of people appreciate about a lot of this stuff too is you're not just reading the comic books you're appreciating the artwork you're not just playing the card games you're looking at the artwork you know there's a lot more to it so you can be into it because you're a collector you can be into it because you enjoy playing it and i think that's cool with a lot of this material actually God. Oh, amazing so talk about you you know taking things serious and putting out your first work ever you know when did you do that and how did you feel when it first came out well, I was writing since I was even younger than what I've been just talking about. I mean, I don't remember ever not writing. You know, you know people who were came crazy. out with a pen, not to moment. Yeah, I mean, seriously. I mean, I, I remember. You didn't cry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember when my mom would come in and tell me stories. And most times she would do it just off the cuff. You know, she would make up stories or whatever. So she was kind of like that, too. Um, I would actually like rewrite the stories with her. I would rewrite the stories. And again, this is I'm like five, six years old. Um, so I, I don't ever remember not telling stories, not writing. I'd be messing around with like different technology that I had with, with some of my friends as kids. So we'd be playing around with like somebody would have a camcorder or even a, a recorder that we would make little like radio shows about in the garage. We did the whole cardboard box thing. We were all in a Calvin and Hobbes. So we were all like a lot of my friends and I at a very young age, we were telling stories to each other and making little short films and radio shows and things. So I was always doing that. And then, you know, I wrote a novel when I was 13, my first novel, which I didn't even the think. The novel to, at 13. Yeah, it was 350 pages. It was a science fiction story. I, I did it just for fun. I really didn't even think about publishing it. I wouldn't have known how to do it back then. There was no place to like post it online or anything. I just did it. And then it just became a summer hobby for me. So I actually did wow. it the next few summers. Yeah, well, through college, I was writing, you know, I used to just write screenplays and books for fun. And I didn't even really think about doing anything with it, mainly because I didn't know how I would do that. I didn't have any connections or anything. I was from, I was in Southern California, but it's not like I knew anybody in Hollywood. When I was one of the reasons I went to film school was to try to meet people and try to get into that world a little bit. It got me in a little bit, but not as much as I would have liked. And I really just had to work my butt off after that. So that in a point now I'm in my early twenties, it's like, all right, I got to start making money at this. And the journalism was great. And some of the other things I was doing was fun, but it was like, you know, I want to do these books for a living. I want to do these yeah. scripts for a living. And that's when things really started coming together. I did a few little projects. And then in 2013, I did my first big project, Slimed, which was the Nickelodeon book that I was talking about earlier that Mark Summers did the forward to. I talked to 250 people for that book. Everybody and anybody you could ever imagine that was involved in Nickelodeon, wow. uh, the first kind of wave, you know, through like the early 90s. 
And uh, that book did really well. It was actually, I, I don't watch Jeopardy. I had to find out about this to all these friends. I swear you can look it up. It was a clue on Jeopardy just a couple of weeks ago. And that book came out almost 10 years ago. So clearly it has some kind of resonance because that was, the question was about my book slimed. And I honestly, I don't even know how that happened. And I was getting text messages and stuff from friends. So clearly <laughs> like, that one's gotten out there and you know, that kind of thing, which is sort of cool. So, and then from there, I just, I met more people and, I connected and kind of like with Mark Summers and a few of the other people I met on the Nickelodeon book, I just became friends with people and then I would do other projects with them and other things would lead to other things. And along the way I got involved with Mike Reese from the Simpsons. He's one of the two people's written for that show since it started. We ended up doing a book together that just came out a couple of years ago, Springfield Confidential about the Simpsons. And I just, I kind of kept in touch with people and I kept, working with people and these projects would come along and um you know now we are here with today see you at san diego's coming out so oh my god yes yes. so what inspired this one because folks look at this dope cover look who's on this cover look at that royalty yeah yeah, no, it's a, it's a fun one. Yeah, fun, fun, so, fun, fun. <laughs> so talk about what, what, why you started putting this bad boy together. How was it to meet these legendary people that oh, you man. have in this book? My God, you have an arsenal of, of icons and legends in this. Yeah, you, look, you know, I, I have a few other friends that do similar books like this too. Like my friend Kasim Gaines, who's actually in this book because he's become a pretty well-known writer as well. He does books on Back to the Future. He just had one come out a couple of days ago about E.T., like the official E.T. book and Dark Christmas. So I had actually Cassine in the book as sort of a, another pop culture historian and talk about all these movies and things. And, you know, he and me and a few other people we know that do this stuff, you know, we'd be lying if we didn't say that we're also fans still to this day. Yeah, we're professionals, but a lot of this is about getting to meet some of these people, getting to talk to some of these people, in some cases, becoming friends with some of these people. And, you know, they're really interesting folks. And it's not just because, oh, they're famous or they've done all these cool things. It's because a lot of them really are great people. They're very smart. They're cool to hang out with. They're funny. They're creative. They're interesting. They've got great stories. Like, I want to hang out with a lot of these people. So a lot of this is about reaching out to those folks and getting to figure out a way. How can I talk to all these different people for a project? A lot of it's just because I want to talk to these people and I want to pick their brain. (laughs) And so this particular project goes back a while. There's some other things that happened years years ago that got me in touch with a woman named Wendy All, who uh, was one of the early Comic Con people, and we stayed in touch over the years. I've actually never met her in real per- in real life. I'm going to meet her. We're doing a, a big event um, on Thursday in Los Angeles. We'll talk Ooh, about that maybe a little later. Yes. Yeah, but um, it's actually going to be the first time I'm meeting Wendy in person. We've just stayed in touch over email and phone and such. And at a point a few years ago, um, I talked with her about doing uh, this book, and she really liked the idea. She introduced me to a lot of the other Comic-Con people. She told them this guy's a good guy. He did the book on the Nickel- on Nickelodeon, on The Simpsons. He's done all these articles. So I talked with them and became friendly with them. Everything was going great, except for one thing. This was a couple months before March 2020. And uh, uh, I don't know how many people were around <laughs> in March 2020, uh, but uh, it was not oh, a good man. time to be launching a big old new project that was going to take a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of traveling around and so forth. So it was like right up to that, we we had to really kind of pull back the reins. But honestly, a lot of the people that I was talking to are, you know, in, in their later years. And I was really worried if I didn't get some of them on record soon, they might not be around. And, you know, we've lost so many legends. Just yeah. Recently. No, I mean, even, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I would love to talk to Neil, Neil Adams or whatever, but nice, you know, bro. there were people, you know, I was worried. I really was. So I had to figure out a way. And like, literally we, like I was working with an agent at the time. We couldn't get in touch with anybody at the publishers because they're leaving their offices. They're dragging their computers out and running out and leaving <laughs> yeah. New York. And it was a crazy time. I had a friend at Sirius XM. He uh, was a producer there. And he said, you know, instead of going crazy, they're doing the opposite. They're like, hey, let's take advantage of this time. People are going to need, you know, more content now. They're going to be home a lot more, et cetera. Yeah. So he said, we're going to be doing some original podcasts. Do you want to do your project over here? I said, you know what? Any way that we can get this going, we need. You to mean do. this project, Comic Con yeah. begins? So this, yeah. this is the early inspiration yeah. for that. So, oh, Comic Con, okay. so that's, that's what happened was I was able to 
work with SiriusXM and Stitcher. They just bought Stitcher around that same time, along with a lot of the, a lot of the other audio platforms. They're like <laughs> buying them all up right now, like Disney. Like Pac-Man. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like Disney or Facebook or something right now. Um, but um, you mean Metaverse? <laughs> yeah, man, I was just gonna say Meta. I, I literally Ooh. just I literally just listened to the Zuckerberg uh, podcast <laughs> with with Rogan. You know, not that I normally do. You know, I just was yeah. curious. I, you know. But anyway. Um, so yeah, so I was able to have, frankly, the funding and the technology and the support from other producers and and such to do the project as an audio documentary series with SiriusXM. And it really was just a matter of we need to, we can't stop, we can't slow down. Because there was a lot of discussion of, well, if we wait till October, maybe this will die down and then we can try to do this sure. book and all this. I said, no, like we, you know, we can't wait those months. Plus I was already really invested. I'd spent yeah. a lot of money on getting books and watching documentaries and I'd already talked to all these mm. people. It's like, man, I'm not stopping now. Like this has already been a yeah. lot of work and a lot of time. Like I need to, you know, be nice to get a couple bucks for myself and I need to get this yeah. project going. So we did it as the audio documentary series. Comic-Con Begins, which I highly recommend. It's its own thing, but it's still, you know, something I really highly recommend, like I said. And you can listen to it for free anywhere on any audio platform. Even though we work with Sirius, um, you can hear it anywhere. Um, so, but for doing that, I, I collected about 70 hours of original interviews with all the different wow. people. And, 70? Yeah, 70. And the podcast That's an series, editing nightmare. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot of work. Um, and I had I had a great team at SiriusXM that helped me to cut it down to the seven hours that we have for the okay. audio documentary series. For wow. those listening closely, it's seven hours. I have <laughs> 70. 70. So you do the math. Jeez. And I said, you know what? We still have so much great stuff in here. There was a lot of this whole subjects we didn't even get to talk about, you know, because we just didn't have room for it. And luckily, uh, um, you know, a lot of the people who were involved in the podcast series really wanted, you know, to do more and wanted, wanted more stuff to come out. They're like, yeah, let's keep yeah. going. You did a great job. Let's see what else you can do, kid. And so Hoche Anderson, who is in the podcast series and now also in the book, um, he's done a lot of graphic novels like the Martin Luther King Jr. one and a few other big, big projects. He's done a lot of stuff for Fanagraphics and Stan Sakai, of course, the Yusagi Ojimbo fame, also yeah. known as the nicest guy in comics because it's true. Um, he also has done a lot for Fanagraphics and they knew I was thinking about maybe going to Fanagraphics with the book still just because I really like Fanagraphics. They're yeah, kind of part legit, of the yeah. story. Yeah. And it's just like, I was like, I was worried if we went to Simon and Schuster or Penguin or some of the other bigger publishers I worked with before that have their own advantages and such too. But I was worried that a book like this would get buried over there. I'd get yeah. kind of sidelined, you know, it wouldn't be the project that ultimately ended up coming out, but with Fanagraphics and Gary, Gary Groff, the publisher, I knew they would do it right. And so Hoche and Stan Sakai went to Gary and said, you got to listen to this podcast series. You got to do this book. This guy's legit. And Gary agreed. And that was last September. And then we just boom, went right into it. I mean, we were working through the holidays. We had this genius designer that Gary brought on, Jonathan Barley, who I can't recommend highly enough. B-A-R-L-I. Go to him for all of your book design needs that guy's amazing i mean we're literally zooming with each other while people are on vacation i mean it was literally thanksgiving wow. holidays whatever i mean we had <laughs> with to get a turkey it leg in your hand and hold on yeah hold on. exactly no it was really like that it was really like that i mean it was nuts i mean we really were just like you know working through it and um and it was a lot of fun and so i was able to re you know to re in, in i was able to insert a lot of the material that we just didn't have room for in the podcast series. So the podcast series would have been, you know, 50 hours or something like that. Yeah. So we were able to do it with the book. The other thing, obviously, that the book has, you know, um, that the podcast series, of course, doesn't have is all the pictures. Um, because yes. I was working with Fanagraphics yes. and I knew we had this genius designer with Jonathan Barley. Um, I said, we can really do something here. And uh, we got over 400 pictures in art. Most of it no one's ever seen before. I mean, there's a picture. Yeah, really cool stuff. Like sketches, you know, we got like John Pound's early sketches of Garbage Pail Kids. And we got <laughs> pictures of all these different celebrities at Comic-Con. People you wouldn't expect to see there, like Frank Capra and just really crazy people. I mean, one of the pictures, one of my favorites is uh, this picture of Francis Ford Coppola. 
from 1974. I mean, it was right before Godfather 2 came out. I mean, Godfather 2 hadn't yeah. even come out yet. And someone had that in a box as a negative, what? mislabeled. It wasn't labeled. They were going to like throw it away. And then they luckily looked at it with a, micro, uh, with a microscope. They told me this. And they were like, this hasn't even been processed yet. So when you're wow. looking at that picture of Francis Ford Coppola at Comic-Con in 1974, you're some of the first people ever to see it. Because it's, it's not been out. And, and this is oh. what happens. I mean, these you things just get lost. You got exclusive stuff in this yeah. beautiful book because I'm reading it, folks. You know, yes, it, it's 500 pages, so and I'm at page 47, <laughs> <laughs> but I've already uh, seen some awesome pictures and, and already uh, uh, seeing the narrative you're going with here and the stories of these people from those early, early days. I mean, I'm already past the point where you know they, they met, at, at, you know, with Jack Kirby. You know, and talking about, do you, you know, what should we do here? So we do incorporate everything. What do you think? And he comes off like, hell yeah, do it all. So there you go. It's Jack Kirby's fault that the <laughs> Comic Con is the way it is. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they, Jack Kirby, and that's why he's on the cover. Jack Kirby was definitely like the spiritual guy to the group. They had a few others that were pretty cool too that, that we can't discount, like Ray Bradbury, who went to every single Comic Con until he passed. Um, Forrest Ackerman, Forrey Ackerman, who's the creator of the famous Forrest. Marshall film. Oh, those stories with yeah. Forrey, like what a yeah. apparently great man just helping and being so generous with his time and and network. Yeah, no, he, wow. yeah, no, I mean, so it was, they had that, and that's the thing too, is, is one thing a lot of people don't think about or realize is these were kids who were putting this together. Barry Alfonso was 12. and he 12? Was, and a cab? I mean, his mama was driving him to the meeting. Yeah, they, their parents, <laughs> most of them, their parents had to drive them around. Most of them were not Crazy. even 16 yet. And to, and again, I'm not, I'm, you know, you can read about it in the book. They were not getting coffee for people. They were not hanging out outside and giving out flyers. They were creating and running the con. It, this yeah. was this was made by kids. kids. It really was. A lot of them, you know, got out of it when they went to college because they they left San Diego. Like so, a lot of their stories kind of stop when they go to college because they were all kids when they were doing this. And through a couple of older guys, like uh, founder Shell Dorf, who was o the old guy at all of thirty six, yeah. he wasn't even that old. Um, right. <laughs> he he knew some people, and a guy who owned a bookstore that they hung out with named Ken Kruger knew some people, and some of those people happened to be Jack Kirby and some of these others, and they connected the, these kids to this kind of generation of the original yeah. geeks, the original fans like Forrey Ackerman, like Ray Bradbury, creators like Kirby, wow. and Insane. so they became kind of like mentors to these kids. So these kids were already wanting to do it and get them going. And then they were just lucky enough to be connected to these people that happened to be Jack Kirby. And you're right. They would ask Jack Kirby for really important advice like, yeah. should this just be about comics or should this be about everything? And Kirby was the one who said it should be about everything. And as we show in the book. Yeah. yeah Kirby, <laughs> not, not, well, Shell says no, but, 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 you know, the way it's written, like it was enthusiastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shell, 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 anyone listening or watching this knows, it knows the story at all. They know that Shell don't. Sheldorf was an interesting character. We actually have both an entire episode of the podcast just about Shell. And because of that, an entire chapter in the book just about Shell. And I really wanted to give everybody opportunities to say what they felt about Shell because he really is a Citizen Kane type of a character. I mean, okay, he really is right. one of these people or, or today like, like an Elon Musk or something or even someone like Stan Lee or something where – you know, have a lot of respect. A lot of people, uh, uh, you know, really believe in a lot of what they did and who they are. But there's definitely a lot of haters out there, too. And, you know, maybe rightly so. I mean, there were definitely a lot of people who had some things to say about Shell that, you know, don't look too good. But, you know, there are also a lot of people who love Shell and who respect Shell for what he did. And everybody, and this, this is, I think, the real point, even the people who really did not like Shell at all agrees that without him, there wouldn't be Comic-Con. So even the people who did not like him agree that he was kind of the he was the guy and so um you know and and that's what's fun about the story too is it's not just a bunch of random disparate anecdotes of people rambling about whatever no. like i'm doing right now it was all kind of put together yeah. with all these different storylines because there were really interesting people like shell dorf involved who again not everyone might know his name but he's pretty much considered the founder of comic-con and he was an interesting guy who did a lot of interesting things and and made a lot of people mad and made a lot of people happy. And there's just stories like that through the entire book, yes. you know, and he's yes. not the only one. I mean, there were a lot of people who, mm -hmm. you know, didn't exactly endear themselves to everybody. I mean, you know, and, you know, everyone knows there's 
crazy people in this industry in this world <laughs> and especially it was again you know the 60s and the 70s and the 80s so people were there's a lot of extra Wild stuff enough. going on too yeah you know a lot yeah. of craziness going on behind the scenes also <laughs> yeah see this is why this book is fun i like how it's put together it's well put together you know with Thank the conversations and all yo great job kiddo because again I, I was thoroughly engaged that when you popped in like i told you in in the green room when you popped in i jumped scared for my life <laughs> I, I was just so into the book when i held that pop oh man mega don't jump but that made me jump click see made me made me jump with that click <laughs> <laughs> no yeah but I, i'm digging it folks listen it, it dropped today seriously all right it's from fancy graphics you know go to fancy graphics website or your bookstore you go to amazon whatever you got you got to get this today all right i mean what was your most favorite story if you you could tell us within you know what what popped off in the book do you have a favorite you know time yeah yeah no for sure um my favorite is just because it really shows again the connection between what was going on at comic-con at that time and what else was going on in the country which you know that's one of my favorite parts of the story is that it wasn't just kids it was kids during you know the 60s and the 70s and there was so much going on outside of the scene at that time with with vietnam and with stuff that was going on with protests and with stuff that was going on with new technology with computers coming into the game and stuff going on with all this political things going on and and woodstock and the way that music was changing and the way that film and television was starting to change i mean it and that was all impacting a lot of these people not everybody some people felt like comic-con was a bit of an escape from all that but a lot of the people in the story they were definitely very impacted by what was going on in the rest of the country, especially since a lot of it was going on, you know, in San Francisco and Berkeley, not too far up, just a few hundred miles up. I mean, it wasn't across the country. It was right there. And they'd come down, you know, a lot of the underground comics guys would come down from San Francisco to sort of teach the San Diego kids, hey, this is what's going on up there. Yeah. You know, we're fighting for some real causes up here. There's some crazy stuff going on and we're making comics about it and whatever. You know, Spain Rodriguez and Gilbert Shelton and people like this, mm. Trina Robbins. And so um, that's all going on at the same time. So for me, what, that's that's a really interesting part of the story. And the best kind of specific story that shows this is in 1975, uh, 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 Timothy Leary, Dr. Timothy Leary, you know, uh, the, the acid guru. He was called by Richard Nixon, <laughs> the, the most <laughs> dangerous. Yeah, he's called the most dangerous man in America. Richard Nixon calls him. Uh, had just gotten out of prison that happened to be in San Diego. Connected with some of the Comic-Con kids by wild coincidence. They were both at a radio station. Same time, the Comic-Con kids were there to, to uh, talk about Comic-Con happening. Leary's there with his probation officer. He's literally just getting out of prison really? wow. and, and there too. And they invited him to come and he came. And we actually do have, for those who don't believe it, a picture in the book of Timothy Leary, the programming director at the time, David Scroge, who would also go on to do a lot of stuff for Dark Horse. And George Clayton Johnson, who is a whole other crazy character that can be a whole other book. It probably <laughs> will be one day. There could be a documentary on George Clayton Johnson, sci-fi guy, and wrote all these books and did all these other stuff. I can go on and on just about him. But I mean, really? the, they made stuff like that happen at Comic-Con. And how Timothy Leary got there, what he did when he did get there. Wendy All, the woman I talked about earlier who helped me get into all this, she actually went to dinner with him and had kind of this crazy adventure with him as well. And then they all <laughs> went and hung out by the pool and they did what you did back in the early 70s when you hung out by the pool, hey. you know, and, and all that. So they're all having a good time together and chilling. And, you know, and just the fact that stuff like that went on at Comic-Con, I think would wow. really surprise a lot of people and make people realize that those connections were very real. And when you think about it, it makes sense because... I mean, look, Crumb has artwork on a Janis Joplin album. And, you know, you had so many other rockers at the time who were really into comics. And comics were talking about, you know, the music, at least the underground comics were. And there was so much connection to what was going on there. You know, in fact, I've said for years that a lot of movies and things about the 1960s and 70s, tend to leave that out that so many of the people who were in all these different social movements and what was going on with comedy at the time and music and such like you look closely at some of those pictures people are reading comic books or they got t-shirts i mean you look at the ramones sometimes johnny ramones got like a popeye shirt on or whatever or rocky right. and bullwinkle i mean <laughs> you know like the people of that era the 60s and 70s grateful dead even the beatles 
all these different people, I mean, they were into this stuff and they were talking about it and they had pictures. So it's like, I wish that more movies about the 60s and 70s would show that all these people were watching these science fiction movies and reading these science fiction books and reading these comic books who would go on to do all these major things in our society. And even today, you know, I bring this up sometimes, especially when people ask me, we can get into this in a minute too. You know, when I have someone like RZA from Wu-Tang, you know, did, oh, did yeah. afterward, I'll just say real quick, like there's a lot of connection between the hip hop community and comics and science fiction. Absolutely. You know, whether you like him or not, I really enjoyed the Kanye West documentary that's on Netflix right now. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he's wearing like a Blade Runner shirt, like a good clean one. Like he wants people to see that he's in the Blade Runner and he's talking at one point kind of crazy Kanye West style, but about Deadpool and how he feels like he's like Deadpool. And I mean, he's making references yeah. Through the whole movie, you watch that Elvis movie that's out right now. I mean, he's all into superheroes and stuff, and has like the the lightning bolt and the cape. I mean, yeah, all right? these different innovators from all these different places, especially in the sixties and seventies. I think more so than you would think, we're into this stuff, and you know, now we're seeing that more today. Now everybody's into it, but yeah. you know, I think that that's really cool. So that's why I really like the Timothy Leary story because it shows that there was stuff like that going on in Comic Con. You know, and I think that's really interesting. We had some really cool, wild dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they were really, you know, they wanted Hunter S. Thompson to come to Comic-Con. I mean, oh, a lot man. of them were into Hunter S. Thompson. They wanted him to come. I mean, they wrote they wrote him a letter and invited him, and he ended up not coming. But, I mean, they really wanted him there. And, you know, even when you think about some of the, the, the people themselves, I mean, Harlan Ellison, you know, who didn't come until a little bit later, but he did end up coming a couple of times. I mean, that guy was into so many different things and was in so many different worlds and, you know, hung out with so many different people. I mean, he was like a rock star, you know, with his glasses yeah. and, you know, and his pipe and all that stuff. I mean, the guy got around and, you know, it was a bit of a Casanova and all that. I mean, a lot of those people were became like these counterculture figures they became almost like these like underground superheroes themselves and i think that that's really cool and and says a lot i mean even someone like rod serling and the twilight zone and twilight zone mm. is a big part of all this too and all the twilight zone people and people like bradbury who wrote some for twilight zone i mean you look at some pictures of rod serling i mean that guy that guy was cool. You know, you see him by yeah. the pool chilling, you know, chest of hair and all that. <laughs> way. You know, like even when you watch him do his intros and in show, I mean, that guy was like, he was like talking like he's, you know, sitting there like Miles Davis or Jack Kerouac or something. And that probably was because he was into all that stuff. I mean, he was yeah. obviously into the cool hip stuff that was going on at that time. And, you know, and, and, and so it, it imbued him, you know, the way he would talk even for something like Twilight Zone that you would think, you know, is sort of like, you know, sterile or, or for, you know, a, a square kind of a person or whatnot. But then you really watch, you're like, no, this is, there's some cool stuff going on. Even some of the music, the camera work. I mean, no, it was pretty funky. It was pretty, you know, it was, there was very jazzy, very bebop. It's like, no, yeah. when you really watch it, when you give it a chance for people who maybe haven't really watched Twilight Zone before, like, it's not what you think just because it's a bit older and black and white and all this, yeah. like, Rod Serling, the people who worked on it. Yeah, and Richard <laughs> Matheson, all the people who worked on it, like they were cool people doing cool stuff and into cool things. And so they put that into the show. I mean, it really is yeah. in that, you know? Absolutely. So talk to me. How, how did you even get Rizzo to do to do that. <laughs> oh man, that was a lot of work. That, that took a year and six years. Yeah, man. Look, uh, I, Mark, you know, again, bringing it back to, to Summers, Mark Summers once said something to me that I always appreciate. I'm sure a lot of other people, including in this book, uh, would agree, which is, you know, he one time said to me, Matt, you're a real pain in the ass, but in a good way. And I've always felt that's the best compliment I've ever gotten. <laughs> because I don't, I don't let up. I mean, even a lot of the other people in this book, it's like, it took like, just so many emails, so many phone calls. I mean, there were certain people I just really, really wanted and needed, and I wasn't going to let it go. And, you know, it even goes back to, I hate to put it in these terms, but it's true. I feel this way, you know, it goes back to like the collector mentality. It's like, I got to have the whole set, you know, like I got to yeah. have them all. Yes. I need the you whole know? run. <laughs> yeah. I need the whole, I need the whole, you know, series, you know, I really want it all. And like I said, I originally wanted Riza actually for the podcast series. So that's when I first got in touch with his people. And yeah, I was going through all these different assistants and managers. And because I've, I've worked in Hollywood, because I am a journalist, because at this point I've been to all these places around the country, I've done these other books, I have a nice network of my own. You know, I'm, I, I actually don't really mess around with social media stuff. It's not really my bag. I, I see it as a little distracting and whatnot. Um, yeah. So I don't really use social media for any of this. I, I just have... I know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody usually, or I have different ways of getting in touch with different people. 
And so I've just always been really good. It's like being a private eye. And I've always been very good at that. I mean, even the Nickelodeon book way back in the day, I started that around 2011 before it came out in 2013. I mean, there really wasn't social media back then. And I mean, I just yeah. had to find these people and some of them weren't famous anymore or whatnot. So they didn't have like agents or publicists. <laughs> I had to go friggin' just find them. And, you know, and I did that for 250 people. So I've been, I've gotten really wow. good at knowing how to do that. Anyway, so I'm in touch with Riz's people. I'm trying to get him on board for the podcast series. And really, I just wanted to talk to him about that connection between the hip hop community and science fiction and comics, because I thought that would be an interesting angle. I also wanted to talk to him really, of course, about the martial arts stuff and the Bruce Lee stuff, because that too might surprise a lot of people that there was a lot of interest in Bruce Lee and martial arts movies and Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris was another one. He was a special guest in 1975. That's pretty early on that mm -hmm. they had them come out. So I wanted to talk to him about that. It just wasn't working out. We weren't able to get the time on, but I kept bugging him. I kept bugging him. <laughs> Finally, I hear back about a year later that they have some time, you know, that, that he can do it. He can do a Zoom. And I said, well, the podcast is, is done and it's been out, but we're now we're doing the book. Can I talk with him and maybe we can kind of work on putting together an afterword for him? And they said, sure. And that's what we did. And I swear I, I was going into this. And Riz has been a longtime hero of mine. I'm, a, you know, that was another thing. I was really into Wu-Tang. I'm, I'm a Wu fan too. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know it was, you know, Wu-Tang forever. And, you know, it's like cash rules everything around me. I mean, that was like, hey, that was definitely, yeah. you know, I'm, I mean, I was into it. And I actually have a Calvin Hobbes shirt that's also a Wu-Tang shirt. It says Wu-Tang for oh, the nice. children. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure Bill Watterson loves that. Um, not that I'll ever know. But uh, the point is, um, so I really wanted uh, Riza in there. And, you know, also a big fan of his movie stuff and all that Jim Jarmusch and Ghost Dog. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm a big fan. And so, like we said before, part of it was I really wanted to talk to Riza. This was a way of doing yeah, yeah. it. And so they set up the Zoom. And we did that. And I just wanted to talk to him about martial arts stuff and a few other things. He just starts going on and on and on about Gene Roddenberry and Jack Kirby and all these other just really intricate, meticulous things that are in the afterward. And at a point I actually said, I said, hey, man, do you consider yourself a nerd? Like, are you a nerd? Like, what's the deal here? And he goes, actually, I just wrote something about that for Wired that'll be coming out. You know, and now he has this graphic novel coming out, the Bobby Digital graphic novel. And I mean, nice. he's into it. Yes, yeah, he's it's, he's a real deal. He's not just, you know, oh, I'm a celebrity and now this is hot. So I got to talk about this. Like, he's into it. And he clearly had a lot to do with his inspiration artistically on all the different projects he does. So I was so happy to have him in there. And just to have Riz's name on the cover of my book, I mean, you know, I know some people that are getting it just for that, you know, and his afterward really is so good. Like it came together really, really well. I'm really proud of, of how that came together and how we put it together in the book and the picture of him. And so if nothing Absolutely. else, if you're a big Wu-Tang fan, get this book because Riz is yeah. some really cool shit. <laughs> uh, see, yeah, but you can always tell that Wu was into comics early on because there was a lot of comic book references in, in, in the lyrics, even early on that comic book fans, you know, Tony Starks, Johnny Blaze, sure. you know what I mean? Totally. So, yeah. Well, and also, <laughs> not, not only that, but also just the idea of, and, and this was something I always kind of implicitly felt even when I was younger, before a lot of this was talked about more, was just the idea of like, they, they almost have like double identities or secret identities the way they yeah. a lot of rappers and, and people in the hip hop community have, you know, like, yeah, these, these sort of monikers that they use. And a lot of times they have these qualifiers and, you know, even in their lyrics, you know, again, yeah. And, and the, 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 the titles of their albums and so forth, they're always kind of referencing these things. And so I, you know, I always kind of caught on to that. And, and I'd love seeing that even in, like I said, like other music genres, you wouldn't necessarily yes. think about like in the punk world, or whatnot. I mean, a lot of people probably don't realize this. I don't know if you necessarily call Radiohead punk, but you know, there's lyrics in pa Paranoid Android that are straight out of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and even Paranoid Android <laughs> itself is Marvin the Paranoid Android. And so, the you know, you wouldn't necessarily think of a band like that, especially at that time. You know, and yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, like Hitchhiker's is kind of this nerdy, geeky thing. Radiohead's really hot and cool, and and yeah. you know, at the top of their game and all this stuff. And so, for them to put that into a song, it was like, oh, so it's really cool when you see these connections like that. And that was a big part of why I wanted RZA, not just in it, but you know, to have a big place on the cover. Like, we're gonna go some places you might not all consider, and I want people to be like, wow, what's RZA doing in there? What's he have to do with all this? And it's like. You know, well, read the see. book and check it out, find out, <laughs> and see how there's so many different angles 
and so many different kinds of people and stories and such. I didn't want it to just be kind of the usual suspects, you know. I mean, we got those guys in there too, just in case, you know. Got to get the Kevin Smith. Got to have him in there. Got to get yeah. Neil, Neil Gaming. Got to get him in there. Felicia Day, that was cool and and all that. But I mean, I wanted to bring in a few surprise guests that you're like, oh, what's what's so and so doing in there? What's what's up with that? Oh, so, yeah, definitely you know, have so, that. You got some names in here. Again, you know, I can't wait to keep, you know, chugging through it because, you know, you got me hooked like a fish. Fantastic job. I'm definitely going to go ahead and, and mark this up. You know, it's free, folks. Comic-Con begins on your favorite audio platform. Got to tune in. That's some, it's some awesome stuff. Yeah, but it's the book right here, Fanographics, all right? Today, go go visit Fanographics like right now or go to Amazon or go walk along to your, you know, bookstore if you need that, you know, it's, a beautiful day why not <laughs> yeah yeah and if you do if you do I'm, I'm sure most people know this it really helps us out a lot if you do get it on amazon please please write up a review yes. um the more reviews we get it helps out with things like the recommendation algorithm stuff and and all that so it just helps to to engage you know that kind of stuff more so i always like to support my local bookstore i always like to tell people to support your local bookstore your local comic book shop they really need it it's one of the reasons why i like to do yes. touring and stuff even though a lot of people don't do that kind of thing anymore because it's not really cost effective but for me it's fun and it's a way to meet a lot of people and i really believe in supporting independent businesses and particular because like i said i mean that's where i grew up you know was and i love i used to love to go to independent small bookstores little used bookshops even to this day um you know luckily my wife's into it too it's like something we like to do hey you, know? you are like, lucky <laughs> yeah yeah no she likes it. i mean we just like we'll be driving around somewhere on a road trip or whatnot and we'll stop at you know a little bookstore and just walk around a little bit maybe buy a couple things get some gifts for some family i always that's actually what i get for gifts for people for the holidays usually is books i like to get especially used books like books that you know people wouldn't necessarily know about and, and what yeah. else some older books or some rare books and you know so again sometimes i know it might not sound like a lot of money but sometimes i spend a little bit of money on it because i'm getting like a you know 75 dollars out of print book for my dad or something like that but that's what i like to do so i want to i want to support that ecosystem that said, it definitely helps us a lot to, uh, you know, put reviews on Amazon. You know, I have my druthers about Amazon like we all do. I mean, you know, talk about a guy who looks like a, a super villain. Uh, Bezos does a good job of that. But the point is, uh, if you do get it on Amazon, please do a review because that helps us out a lot. <laughs> yeah, get it done. Get it done. For, give them that review. Listen to that awesome six-part audio series on your favorite audio platform today. It's called Comic-Con Begins. Matthew Clickstein. You don't mess it up again. It's about this book, though. Again, let me read you this wonderfully long title that he, that he decided, right? <laughs> so, See You at San Diego, an oral history of Comic-Con, fandom, and the triumph of geek culture. Yeah, triumph. I see what you did there with that Wu-Tan joint. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, when I, uh, I was actually on the phone with Gary Groth when we were talking about uh, the title of this book, and it just was in my head, See You at San Diego, for some reason, I really like the sibilance of it, and I like the tautology of it. What's funny, I didn't even think about this. If you go to my website or, or on Amazon or anywhere else, you look at my books, a lot of my books start with the letter S. Like, a lot of them do really? slimed. <laughs> I just did a book with another lady called So You Need to Decide. I did a book called Selling Nostalgia. Um, you know, I, I there's a few others that start with the letter S, or letter S is, a, is very prominent in the title. So I guess I just really like S's. Um, but I, yeah, see you at San Diego. And it's funny because of course, you know, I've actually had to tell some people not see you in San Diego, see you at San at. Diego at, yeah. It's like, we're not going to the city. We're going to like the place of mind, you know, it's like, we're going to yeah. be at there, you know, not, we're not going to be in it. We're going to be at it, you know, like there's just something <laughs> a little different. you see that sort of the, the clarion call that a lot of people say, see you at San Diego. And, uh, yeah. So I thought that would be cool. And then we were talking about subtitles and this one just kind of popped out and he, and he was like, I really like that. That's really good. And I said, right. And yeah. so, uh, especially the triumph of geek culture, that's probably yeah. my favorite part. I will say, and this is actually kind of important for people who, you know, if they're, if they've gone this far, they're probably already into this, but just in case, um, a lot of people have told me, Oh, I'm not really into comic con or I'm not really into comics. Um, so in a, in a way, I kind of wish I called it something more like first geeks or fandom with an exclamation point, because for yeah. me, what's really important that people understand about the book, and you're seeing this already, Al, as you're reading through it, is it's it really is not just about Comic-Con. No, it's not just no. about comics and co comic culture. In fact, there's stories that go all the way back to the 1930s, years yes. before Comic-Con even started. 
And for me, it's a book about pop culture nostalgia. It's a book about fandom. It's a book about geek culture. It's, it, it's the oral history of all of this. And I wish I could get that message out a little bit more because I think there are a lot of people who are missing out on the book because they're like, oh, that sounds cool, but I'm not really that into Comic-Con because I've even heard no. that through friends yeah. of mine that I know, and I'll actually tell them like, but you're into Star Wars and you're into Star Trek or you're into right. Twilight or you're into Rick and Morty or you're into, you know, it's like, are you yeah. kidding me? Cartoons, movies. Right. See you at San Diego. It doesn't say, yeah. you know, Comic-Con. It's San yeah. Diego. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, or even, you know, even beyond San Diego, it goes to Berkeley and San Francisco and New York yeah. and other places even around the country yes, in some of the later chapters. I mean, it's, you know, even the organization is now called Comic-Con International. And I think that's the point, too, is that that's what Comic-Con is. You know, it's like it's almost like a shame that Comic-Con will, you know, it certainly doesn't hurt them. But it, it Comic-Con has never just been about comics. It's always been about all of pop culture. It should have been called Pop Culture Con or yes, Pop Con or something. And a lot of a lot of comic conventions, quote unquote, over the last few years have changed their names to things like Pop Culture Con or Pop Con or, you know, Fan Con or something like this. For that very reason. And so I'm saying this because I want, you know, more people to really think about the book or, or maybe check it out who maybe would be like, oh, there's other stuff in it that's for oh, me. Yes. But also because that's really is what Comic-Con was always about, was about yeah. all of it, all the stuff. I mean, yeah. if you are a fan of something, I even told Gary at one point in the, in the beginning, our publisher, I said, we should do like a special contest online when the book comes out. If you can name like a geek culture you know, Shibboleth, if you can name a geek culture, like fandom thing, that's not mentioned in the book, you get a free copy. Like, and oh, I actually, man. I really worked hard to like, you know, ultimately <laughs> with some cuts and things, like there are a few things we had to take out just for, you know, otherwise it would have been 10,000 pages. Yeah. But there was a point early on where I was really proud of the fact that at least just name dropping, like, you know, Battle, you know, Battlestar Galactica or Babylon yeah. 5 or even really random things, you know, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, whatever, it's like, I was really proud of the fact that if you are a fan of something, we probably at least mention it once in the book, if not have a whole larger story about it. Um, so, I mean, that's that's really how I feel about the book and about Comic-Con itself. And anyone who's been there knows that it's true. It's It really is everything. It's everything. I mean, it, there's nothing that's not represented there. Absolutely. Okay, folks, there you go. Thank you so much for your time, kiddo. Look, oh, actually, no, wait, one more thing. Ain't no time yet because you did mention you're doing a signing. Oh, they don't know right. where yeah. and when is this signing so that we so it's actually i you know I, I know in 2022 it's pretty rare i'm actually doing an entire tour we're going Ooh. all over the country we're even hitting up toronto and canada i wasn't able to make it to the east coast this time but i'm hoping ah, i was about to ask when you come to get, new yeah, york no I, we definitely we'd love to do some stuff in new york baltimore yeah, atlanta in fact i'm good friends with lloyd kaufman from trauma he's also in the book and i'd love to do something maybe with some of his people huh. We I'm going to cool with him on the 15th of this yeah, month. Yeah, Lloyd, Lloyd is great. I just talked to him yeah. this morning. He's going to help get the word out about the book. Lloyd's fantastic. Some great pictures in the book from the trauma people, by the way, including nice. uh, some old trauma guys, you know, like James Gunn and stuff like that, you know, some of the more obscure ones. But uh, <laughs> no, so we got, we, got, we, got, we got the trauma representation in the book for sure. But the point is, um, starting September 8th, uh, Thursday, I'm going to be in L.A. Uh, we're going to Skylight Books uh, in Los Feliz uh, over by Silver Lake area. Uh, we're doing a signing there. And then we're going right up the street to the American Cinematheque. There's a movie theater there where we're going to show Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Great geek oh, culture cool. movie. And then we're having a panel afterwards with a bunch of the people from the book there talking about all these different kinds of things. Oh, nice. Then two days later, I go up to San Francisco for the Cartoon Museum with Trina Robbins and Steve Lee Aloha. What? Um, You're going to yep. meet Trina? Yeah, no, Trina. What? Trina's going to be at our event. Hey, man, we're going to be in San Francisco. Whoa. i got to have Trina Robbins. And then from there, I'm going to be all over the place. And I'm telling you, wherever we go, we got special guests. Tim Seeley's going to be at one one of them what? barry alfonso is one of the co-creators of comic-con we got Ooh. all these different people doing stuff we're going to movie theaters we're going to record stores we're going to bookstores comic shops museums colleges we're going to be all over um so if you oh. want more information on that you just go to my website we got the full list of all the places i'm going to and hey by the way you know uh you know we do want to get to the east coast maybe in the spring but if there's any places that you want us to come to 
uh, and can help us get there, you know, because, you know, I'm putting a lot of this on my credit card. I, I, I'm not a rich man. <laughs> Um, but you know, if, if, uh, there's people who want us to come by, you know, and we look oh, that up, I'm happy to try to make that work. I'll actually, there's I'll some be local a, stops here in Brooklyn that I'm pretty sure would appreciate that, that would be, that would be really fun. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'd love to go to, you know, definitely New York is on the list of course for, in the future, forbidden planet would be cool. That's where we'd probably do something maybe with Lloyd. Oh, he's there be a bunch. Nice, yeah. yeah. Forbidden planet would be cool. Or even something with the colleges. Cause you know, that's the other thing too, that I want to really make clear and it's been great because some of the reviews have already been talking about this. The book is a lot of fun, I hope, and there's some great pictures in it. But also, it is a textbook. It is a resource. It's an encyclopedia. There's no getting around it. I mean, you know, I, I made it that way. I wanted it to be that way. As I said earlier, some of these people are not going to be around much longer. When people are writing PhD theses on this kind of stuff, when people are teaching classes on this kind of stuff, when people, you know, want to spread you know, the, the stories of these things to the next generation. I mean, this is the book to do it with, because this is not my speculation. This is yeah. not my analysis. This is not, you know, what I think about these things. These are the people themselves. That's why I did it as an oral history. It quite literally, for people who have never seen or read an oral history before, it's like a talking head documentary, kind of like what we're even doing right now, but with like 50 people. And then I cut it together to create a full story. So it's not just a bunch of interviews. And so it's got the best of both worlds where it's just the raw stories i'm not in it there's no me in here at all until the end of the book when i thank people and whatever but the actual book is these people just talking and me cutting them together like it's a documentary um and that's by the way very much how we did the podcast series too in fact i don't even really like calling it a podcast series that's why i call it an audio documentary series because it's like a documentary except you just hear it and so um you know for me i think this book is really important for that reason because as, I, as we talked about a little earlier, there's some people in the book that not a lot of people might know about or they might not know their names or might not know that much about them. And this is a way not only to teach people about that, but to give these people the legacy and the credit yeah. and the spotlight they deserve. You know, and, and you know, I, I know we got to get wrapping up here, but just a really good example is B. Joe Trimble. Uh, you know, she is somebody that a lot of people might not know her name, but if you are into Star Trek, you got to look her up or you got to get our book and read about her and see pictures of her and read her talking about how yeah. she really was instrumental to getting Star Trek fandom going back in the day. I mean, she's one of the people who helped to bring it back after it got canceled after season two. And if that hadn't really? happened, yeah, and it's really in large part thanks to her. She gathered together 25,000 fans. You'll be reading about this soon, Now It's coming up Ooh. soon. <laughs> But she gathered 25,000 fans. 25,000. P.S. Wow. No computers. No social wow. media. No <laughs> internet. It's the late 60s she's doing this. She had a the OG influencer. Yeah, she, exactly. OG in influencer for sure. She had to fundraise just to get enough money for the postage stamps and the envelopes wow. and things. Because they she and she wow. organized a group of fans, 25,000 fans, to tell wow. the network, hey, we want Star Trek back. A, it really is probably the first time that fans organized to bring back a TV show. Now that kind of stuff happens all the time. You see all the hashtags, you know, Snyder, whatever. This is, you know, this was probably the first time that wow. something like this happened ever. And then B, if the show hadn't come back for season three, it wouldn't have been syndicated. We probably wouldn't be talking about it right now because we're not talking about time tunnel, you know, like, you know what I mean? Came out around the wow. same time. And so, you know, there, there's some reasons for that too. Time tunnel wasn't as good a show, but still the point is <laughs> B. Joe Trimble made that happen. And wow. look, she's just, let's just say she's not going to be around much longer and people should know more about her and know what she did and who she is and how she even talks about how she did it, why she did it. You know, it can be really inspirational to other people who might say, hey, you know, let's get that Batgirl movie back or yeah. let's do, you know, like, let's get season whatever of this show or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, B. Yeah. Joe made that happen by herself almost with, you know, uh -huh. some, you know, she brought the fans together, but she led that group and 25,000 of them. So that kind of stuff is in the book. And I think those are the kinds of stories that need to be told in classes and at, you know, in, in thesis papers and and you know news whatever you know all yes. these different you know documentaries and stuff because right. so that's really important to understand too that this book is a textbook as well as being something kind of fun and cool to look. you can just look at the pictures and have a good time you'll enjoy it you can flip around and read some different stories but if you really get into it and you teach your class on any of this stuff or you're writing a thesis on it or you want to write your own book or you're doing a documentary this is definitely the book you need to get 
And I think that's going to happen. People are going to kind of catch wind of that in the next couple of months, or maybe a couple of years. You know, sometimes it takes time to get around. But yeah. I think it's going to be one of those books that people will be talking about kind of using for other things. And that, that's how I did it. That's why I did it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can say it without too much arrogance. I mean, I know it's a little arrogant, but the reason I say it is because, <laughs> again, it's not me. I didn't I didn't really write it. I just, I just did the interviews and then edited yeah. it together. So it's not my stories. It's these other people. I just did what I could to help give them a platform in this great way so that that information can get out there and so that people can know who B. Joe Trimble is and know more about Trina Robbins and know about a lot of these people who deserve a lot more spotlight. And I hope we'll get it because of a book like this. Did you get any of this on video? Yes, I did actually, because a lot, we, we really were doing most of the interviews, like the height of COVID. Like we were literally like, there's no vaccines yet. Like nobody knows what's going on. I mean, it was a, I could I maybe one day I could do a book about just making this book. Like this has been a crazy ride. I can't believe a book about the book. Yeah, I can't believe it's September 6, 2022 right now, my man. Like I've been waiting mm-hmm. for this moment for three or four years now. It's like nuts. Wow. It's been a crazy three or four years, you know, like all the stuff that's happened, you know. But um, so yeah, so some a lot of the interviews we did over Zoom, which was still kind of a new thing at the time. Um, so I I recorded those. So yeah, we, we actually have some video of some of these people talking with us and it's pretty you're talking clear. documentary but you're talking about documentary i think if you have it you could even present it in that zoomish format you know yeah well we i you know i think something like this you know we can we can do it one better and um you know uh i doubt i doubt any of the people i'm working with or whatnot are going to hear this that this far or whatnot I, I can't say too much but let's just say i've done the podcast and i've done the book and the book is going to be an audio book, by the way, also coming out soon. Okay. Oh, but let, let's let's just say we, we've done everything except the documentary. So, you know, yeah, let, that's definitely on our on our radar. We've, we've done all the other things. Up. So, hey, yeah. hey, you never, you know, stay tuned, kids. Stay oh, tuned. Please, please. Okay. Manifest. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say anything yet, okay. but let's just say that. All right. But let's just say happening. that if I, I would just say that if this would, were to happen, I, I would be so happy. I, I'll be one of the first ones all over this, like white on rice. Yeah, yeah I would love I would love to hear these stories and see and see the reaction, their facial expression as they tell. Because I mean, you know, that, that's a lot. There's so much you get from the writing, but this, you know, when you see them visually and their reactions, you know what I mean? They no, go from element of hip hop, and you know, when you were talking about the connection of hip hop, you know, and, and comics, basically that's what his show is all about. <laughs> all right, yeah, that's my yeah, boy yeah. Reno, yeah. shout out. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, so I wanted to say thank you so much for your time, Matthew. Thank you. Absolutely awesome. Uh, uh, your your book is amazing. You know, so far again, I I couldn't put it down. I read the you know almost forty seven. I got not to worry. I'm almost there. (laughs) Yeah, and and I apologize, everybody. I know it's it's late in the game to say it, but I'll say it now. You can see on my name tag, my my last name is spelled wrong because I am I I, I'm telling you how how poor I am. My my keyboard, the I doesn't really work on my on my keyboard, so I think I accidentally (laughs) left the I out because I'll press it and it doesn't go. But uh, so it's Clickstein. It's it's spelled correctly on your right there. Yeah, Yeah, everywhere I'm looking at mine. Double checking now. Mine 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 was wrong, but that was my fault. Literally, the eye on my laptop doesn't work very well. So, uh, uh, yeah, uh, this uh, is not the first time that's happened, actually. I'll look at my name and be like, oh, shoot, the eye's missing. Yeah. And, so. and a, a big shout out to the boy uh, Cliff when you were talking about uh, Maggie the Gathering cards. He himself says it definitely was about the artwork and whatnot, you know, top notch. And he could see by himself just for the art. And, you know, they're having a whole conversation now. You know, he never played, but he, you know, he has a massive amount. That's just funny. Yeah. Yeah, you know? no, it's true. I, the artwork on that stuff is is just great. I did. I know we got to get going, but I I knew a guy, super rich guy, uh, in L.A. We went to his house, and he had this huge mural of him and his friends looking like they were doing. Uh, they were in the Dungeons and Dragons world. He was, he, was, he was rich <laughs> enough. He was rich enough. He got like one of the main Dungeons and Dragons artists to do it. Like he actually what? it was done by like a Dungeons and Dragons, like one of the main main guys from that day. He was you a know bit what of a guy. But, yeah. I would make that a card and then, you know, have a curtain in front of it. And when I'm, you know, if I'm playing and then I, I just pulled out that curtain, now everybody lose. Yeah. All right. Again, everybody pick up Matt's book. It's out today. 
Again, you can go to Fanographics website. You can go to Amazon. Again, if you do it on Amazon, you better leave a review. Yeah, leave know? a review, even if it's bad. I don't mind if it's love. bad, but leave a review. The more reviews, the better. Hopefully, it's a good review. But yeah. uh, we just need we need to get those reviews yeah. going. It helps out with getting stuff moving along in the Amazon system. You got to play the game these days, like yeah, video man. games. So we really appreciate yeah. it. Absolutely, yeah. and, and uh, it's actually checking a check. I, 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 sound, I really do sound like a Puerto Rican. Check Matt out. <laughs> so, <laughs> check out Matthew's website at Matthew Clickstein. That's Matthew with one T, not two, folks. All right. It's spelled yeah. that way on my birth certificate, not an affectation. It actually is. Yeah, listen. That way. <laughs> uh, my social security guard, they wrote Alexander with an S. Alex wow. in oh, excess. Wow. You know? Wow. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I was like, I could have gone as excess, you know, Xander, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Sander, there you yeah. go. Check out Matthew's six-part audio series on your favorite podcast platform today. It is called Comic Con Begins. You will not uh, regret it. Trust you me. And again, thanks for, uh, to everybody. You know, Six Element, thank you. You know, even he knows the book sounds super interesting. So do a rewind on the show if you haven't watched it because it definitely is a hella interesting book. All right? It, it really is the business. All right, folks? So you know what to do. Check out Comic Crusaders at ComicCrusaders.com. Uh, you know, check out the extended family over at undercovercapes.com. You know what the deal is, all right? And again, thank everybody else for tuning in. And again, please support, you know, creators like Matt doing amazing stuff. I mean, there's so much more we could get into, and I think we're going to have to have him back on so we could talk about his even passport. Happy to do it. Because he's a legend. That, just like he talks about these guys that you don't oh, know about, really, but sure. he's doing the same <laughs> thing, man. He's doing the same thing, man. He's a young legend right here. So again, thank you for your time. Much appreciated. Hasta la próxima, mi gente. Weppa! Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCapes.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today.